flip-flops. That is not true. It might be. It's hot. In our day, names don't always hold much significance. And there's something... Often we just pick a name we thought sounded pretty or sounded good and and we name children that. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. A name stood for a person's reputation. Uh, In the Old Testament, the word for name, it literally meant a mark or a brand. And parents often gave their children's names that described what they hoped or they expected or they wanted the child to be as they grew up. When we talk about Jesus, the book of Philippians says that He has a name above all names. And that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what we're going to do for the next several weeks is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that gives us some names for Jesus. And each of these names is going to help us to understand why Jesus is the name above all names. And we'll see how He fulfills that and what it means to us in our life. When we finish, as we come out of the Christmas season and we finish, my prayer is we will just be in awe of the greatness and the goodness and the wonder of our Savior. That we, our, our minds will be lifted up, our souls will be refreshed, and we will be ready to face whatever 2020 brings with confidence because we serve the One who is above all. Open your Bible, if you haven't already, to Isaiah 9, um, page 523. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the first seven verses, but really verse 6 is our key for the day, for the month. Isaiah 9 and 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as it was in her vexation, when at the first... He lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and after did more grievously afflict her by way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee, in in the Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Thou hast broken the yoke of the burden and the staff off his shoulder. The rod of his oppressors in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and the garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The title of the message today is Jesus, the Wonderful Counselor. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We gather really in need of you. Lord, as we move into this Christmas season it's always busy at Christmas. There's always a lot going on. And, and it's always hard to keep our minds focused upon Jesus and what this season is really about. But, Lord, if this Christmas season is like the rest of this year, it is going to be even more difficult because it's going to be even more busy. And so we do need you. Lord, we need this time. But we just stop 
We lay aside the cares of life and we focus our hearts and our minds upon your word and let your spirit take it and speak it into our lives. Make us today to understand how good it is that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Make us to know that we can go to him. We can cast our burdens upon him. We can find rest for our souls. We can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Use this time to encourage our hearts today. Strengthen us in our faith. Cause us to love Jesus more than we have. Enlarge our hearts. So our love for Jesus grows beyond anything we ever thought possible. And what we learn and what we see, let us take it and apply it to our lives so we can experience Jesus as the wonderful counselor. It's not just a cool phrase that looks good on a mug. It's not just something that sounds good in a moment of trouble. It's a reality. It's who our Savior is. Draw us ever closer to Jesus. Let us lay our burdens at his feet and trust him to do what only he can do. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And let me say only what you once said. And have your way in how we respond. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the message of Isaiah 9 is a message of hope. The people of Judah and Jerusalem were facing a severe crisis. They were about to be attacked by the Syrian kingdom and by the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, for years, Syria and northern Israel had been bitter enemies, but the imminent threat of Assyria had caused them to form an alliance. It seemed that Syria and northern Israel had strongly urged King Ahaz of Judah to join the alliance, but he had refused, and as a result, they decided to take him out. And they set up a siege around the capital of Jerusalem. Their goal was to conquer the nation, set up a puppet king who would support their rebellion against the Assyrian Empire. And, of course, use their army to help fight. In chapter 8, everything looks pretty well hopeless for Israel, for Judah. A spirit of anguish and distress gripped the hearts of the people. They were living in a war-torn nation. They felt completely helpless. Most of the nation had already fallen to the Assyrians who were sweeping across the land, conquering everything in sight. This was a dark, dismal, and hopeless day for the people of Judah. And Isaiah saw a world of darkness and despair, but he also saw their God would lift the people out of darkness and despair. Isaiah saw the day coming when God would give light for darkness in verses 1 and 2. Joy for misery in verse 3. Peace for conflict in verses 4 and 5. How would God do this? How would God do all of this in them and in the world? Well, the answer is in verse 6. He would do it by sending the Messiah. To the people of of Isaiah's day, this was a shining message of hope and an agonizing day of despair. It was a message of deliverance. God was coming to work on their behalf. It was a message of hope. The Messiah would indeed come. And what we're going to focus on for the month of 
December is verse 6, which is one of the more recognizable Christmas passages. And it's such a, a rich passage which teaches us much about the greatness of the Messiah and the hope that we have in Him. And it starts by telling us, unto us, a child is born, a son is given. But, but notice the phrase, unto us. The Messiah, Jesus, He was coming for our benefit. Think about that. He, he was coming not just for them, but for us as well. To not only bring light to their darkness, but bring light to our darkness. Not only to give them joy for misery, but to give us joy for misery. Not only to give peace for conflict in their day, but peace for conflict in our day. Not only was the child, the son, unto us given, but he was a child is born and a son. That is given him. And both of those descriptions seem significant in light of who Jesus is. But Jesus, we know, is the God man. He is a, a child which was born, but he was also a son that was given. Now, as a child that was born, it reminds us of his humanity. He came through Mary. But as a son which was given, it reminds us in some special way, God himself gave his son unto us to give us light for darkness, joy for misery, peace for conflict. The idea of, of a son being given is reminiscent of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's also reminiscent of Isaiah 7 and 14 where God promised to give a sign that a virgin would conceive and bear a son who would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which, of course, was quoted in the book of Matthew at the birth of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. There was something it meant for them at this time. It was. But there is a bigger fulfillment that was meant. And it was Jesus. Who was given unto us. Who was a child so he could bear our sins. But was also God so he could rise from the dead. And deliver us from sin, from darkness, from misery, from conflict. Now, in this passage, Jesus is given four very famous, very well known names. So what we're going to do for the next Several weeks is just look at each one, what it means, how Jesus fulfilled it, and what we need to do as a response. So the very first is wonderful counselor. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Now, living in our day, we have a much better idea of what it means for Jesus to be the wonderful counselor than they did in Isaiah's time. We have a much better idea because Jesus has come. He has lived as a human. He has endured suffering and temptations and trials that humanity endures. He was persecuted. He was rejected. He was eventually unjustly executed as a criminal. Because of that, it gives him insight as a wonderful counselor. But why do people seek counselors? People seek counselors because they're in pain. Or they have a problem. Those in pain need comfort. Those with a problem need a solution. When Jesus came to earth, he experienced pain. He experienced problems just like we do. 
Jesus knows what it is to be hungry, to be in pain, to thirst, to experience poverty, homelessness. He knows what it is to be rejected by his family and abandoned by his closest friends. He knows what it is in the moment of his greatest need to have everyone turn on him and leave him alone. These are the same sort of experiences that confront us as we live our lives in this world. The main difference between Jesus' experience and our experiences is His experience never led Him to make a wrong decision, make a wrong action, or react in the wrong way. He never had a wrong attitude. And in those moments of pain and problems and trials and tribulations, He never did anything other than exactly what His Father wanted done. And that, in part, enables Him to be a wonderful counselor. As a wonderful counselor. As the wonderful counselor. Jesus is able to comfort us in our pain as no one else can. Jesus is able to guide us in our problems as as no one else can. He is able to encourage us when we're discouraged as no one else can. He is able to strengthen us when we're weak as no one else can. He is able to give us courage when we're afraid as no one else can. He is able to enable us to live victoriously when we feel defeated as no one else can. This is who He is. This is what He does. But how do we access Jesus as the wonderful counselor? What do we need to do? Is it difficult? Is it complicated? Is there a formula? No. But there is a way. We come boldly unto the throne of grace. The Bible tells us that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you know that the book of Hebrews was written during a time or two of people who were suffering. They were struggling. Their year was bad. Right? They turned to Jesus, they committed their lives to Jesus, and everything went bad in their lives. They began to be persecuted, they were beaten, they were kicked out of their homes. The authorities of the day turned a blind eye to what was going on, but they endured it joyfully for a period of time. Because they knew that they had something better waiting on them when they went to be with Jesus. But, but it wasn't ending. Right? I mean, anyone can seemingly endure something for a time. But what do you do... When the time goes into times and times and more times and consistent times and there's no letting up of it. Well, then you begin to wonder, you know, all this actually began when we turned to Jesus. When we when we were under the law, it wasn't like this. Maybe, maybe Jesus is the problem. Maybe we should go back and all of this will be better. And the author of Hebrews finds out about this problem and he writes to them. And he's writing to encourage them to remain faithful. And the key thrust of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And he explains Jesus is better than angels and Moses and the law. And here, Jesus is better than the Old Testament high priest. And he gives several reasons. One, our high priest, and he says, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And what he means is, our high priest, he can 
feel what we feel. He, he knows what we go through. Now, this is significant because the high priest in their day was kind of someone who was set above the others. He was famous. I don't know if that's the right word. But he was, he was important. And so the stuff the average person in the street went through, the high priest did. Right? The, the high priest in their day had about probably as much understanding of what the average Jew went through as, as a Kardashian would have through as what the average Gaimanite goes through. Right? There's just no correlation to the lifestyles involved. But our high priest is not like that. Our high priest didn't live in a, in a white tower. He, he didn't set himself apart from the people. Instead, he came down from holiness. He came down from glory. And he, he lived in the mud and the muck among us. And, and he went to the people. And he was with the people. And he experienced all the things we experienced in our life. And the idea is that he, he can sympathize with us. But it, it's more than, the word used there is more than sympathize. It's not that he looks and goes, gosh, that's bad. I feel sorry for you. It's a stronger word. It carries with it the idea that he, it's almost like he feels our pain. When we, when we go through loss, Jesus is like, I know what that's like. I mean, think about like the story of Jesus. He has his dad, Joseph, right? But then there's a point where Joseph's not there anymore. What happened to Joseph? Well, most believe Joseph died. Someone in your family close to you passed away. Your dad died. And your mother died. And someone, that, that sort of a close relative died. Jesus knows what that's like. Have you had a friend betray you? Maybe someone that was close you told a secret to and they, they told everyone else about it. Well, Jesus has his own Judas. He knows what that's like. Did you do good for someone and they used it to try to condemn you for it? Well, Jesus, he knows what that's like. Did someone ask you a question and you give an honest answer and then they begin to use that to try to tell everyone how stupid or bad or terrible you are? Jesus, he knows what that's like. He had that happen to him. Are you alone because maybe all of your friends have forsaken you? Jesus knows what that's like. Do you feel like you're alone because nobody really understands what's going on in your life and in your heart and your experience? Jesus knows what that's like. It's temptation. I mean, do you feel the weight of temptation on your life? Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus can sympathize. He can feel our pain. He can feel our problems. He can feel our struggles, our trials, our discouragement, our fears, our weaknesses, our defeat, and more. He understands these things. He feels our pain as we go through it. It's, it, it's almost a picture in fact, I think it is a picture, not almost. It is a picture of him going through it with us. Let me, let me explain. Paul persecutes the church of Jesus Christ. And he sets out to destroy the church. And he goes all over the world, gets Christians, 
tells them to renounce Christ or they're either killed or they're tossed in prison. Jesus seeks Paul to save him. And when he seeks Paul to save him, does he say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't, does he? Why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't persecuting the church of Jesus Christ as much as he was persecuting the person of Jesus Christ. Every person Paul persecuted, Jesus was right there with him. Jesus was experiencing it with him. Jesus was with him in that midst. So, when you go through a time of sickness, Jesus isn't the God up there cheering you on. You can do it. Jesus is right there with you. When you go through a time and you're suffering deep trials and troubles, Jesus isn't cheering you on. He's right there with you. When you're discouraged and you sit down and just think, I I can't. He doesn't come along and say, come on, buck up, pal. He sits down and he's right there with you. When you're heartbroken, Jesus lets you cry on his shoulder. When you face death, Jesus is right there saying, I'll guide you across. When you lose a loved one, Jesus is right there. When you feel lonely, Jesus is there. When you feel helpless, Jesus is there. And when you face temptation, Jesus is there. And when you give in to that temptation and the overwhelming sense of guilt and condemnation well over you, Jesus still has not left you. He is still right there. He is with you. With us always and forever. He is our high priest who has made atonement for our sins, has gone through what we've gone through, understands what we deal with. And yet in the midst of all of it, he, he never sinned. He never responded in any of those times in the wrong way. He always did exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And then, after being explained who Jesus is and what he is as our high priest, we're given this wonderful invitation. Let us therefore, since Jesus is our high priest who has made atonement, come. Since Jesus is our high priest that understands and is there, come. Come boldly. Right? I love that. Come boldly. Don't come timidly. Don't come afraid. Don't come thinking He's going to smite you. Don't come thinking He's been waiting on you to come so He can break you down and beat you down. No. Come boldly. Why? So we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, friend, there is mercy with Jesus, not getting what we deserve. Have you sinned and you feel separated? Go to Jesus and you'll find mercy rather than condemnation. People give you condemnation and not mercy, but not Jesus. Do you feel overwhelmed? Maybe you've made mistakes and the problems you're going through are kind of your fault. Go to Jesus. And He's not going to tell you what a doofus you've been. You're going to find mercy. Do you feel... Do you feel over... I mean, a deep sense of maybe even self-pity because of how hard things are right now. Go to Jesus. He's not going to call you a wimp. He's going to give you mercy. 
in this time when we go to Jesus, we can be guaranteed we will find mercy. And I think the bigger picture of mercy here is acceptance. Will he accept me? Will he listen to me? Will he care about me? Can I come? There's mercy. The answer is yes. But not only is there mercy, there is grace to help in a time of need. You know, grace is more than what we think of with salvation. We're we're familiar with the idea we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And grace is greater than our sins. And that's a wonderful truth that we could never underestimate. But there is more to grace than the grace that covers our sins. There is the grace to help us in our time of need. There is the grace to strengthen us spiritually. There is the the grace to help us keep on keeping on. The grace to encourage us. The grace to comfort us. The grace to enable us to overcome sin. The grace to let us come to Jesus and, and feel His welcome. Even when we've sinned and done wrong. Grace isn't something we need at the moment of salvation and then we're done with it. Grace is something we need all the day long. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And he asked Jesus three times to take it away. And all three times Jesus said, no, he wouldn't. Why wouldn't he take the pain away? Why wouldn't he take the thorn away? Because my grace, Jesus said, is sufficient for you. It would enable him to bear with the pain. It would enable him to push through it. It would enable him to keep on keeping on, even though what he was going through was difficult. We need the grace of God to help us during the hard times of life. We need the grace of God to help us in the midst of temptation. We need the grace of God to help us when we feel lonely. We need the grace of God to help us when our hearts are broken. We need the grace of God when we're discouraged. We need the grace of God when we're weak. We need the grace of God when we're in pain. Whatever's going on in our lives, the reality is we need the grace of God. Each and every one of us today needs the grace of God for something right now. We may need it for salvation. We may need it to cover a sin. We may need it to strengthen us. We may need it to encourage us. We may need it to help us in a relationship. But make no mistake, we all need it. And it's one thing to need something. It's something entirely different to be guaranteed you're going to get it. And yet that's the promise. If we come boldly to the throne of grace, we will find not only mercy to accept us, but grace to help in the time of need. Now, listen, grace to help, help, real help, honest help. Again, this this kind of goes back to the idea of experience I was talking about earlier. That's not a cool phrase. That's not something you put on a coffee mug and say, well, that's neat. The grace to help. No, no. It's a real thing. That in our time of need, whatever our need is, we can go to Jesus, go to the throne of grace. We can cry out to him. We will find mercy and grace that will actually legitimately help us in whatever our time of need is. It could be sin. It could be marriage problems. It could be prodigal children. It could be discouragement, depression. It could be overwhelmed with the way things are. It could be the hurt of a loss. It could be a personal sickness. It could be any number of things. But whatever, whatever it is, His grace 
is sufficient to help you. And it's available to you if you will but boldly go to Jesus. This is the work of a wonderful counselor. This is a work of the wonderful counselor. And while this is wonderful, there is a, I don't know, condition maybe that we have to understand. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, right? and that braideth not, and it shall be given to him. So this is a very similar idea. We can go to God, we can ask for help, and he will give it to us. And, and this also, I don't have time to get into how good this is. He gives all men liberally. That means he gives generously. Right? So he doesn't give just a little. He gives a lot. And he upbraideth not. And what that means is he doesn't rebuke us. He doesn't condemn us. I had a, a platoon sergeant when I was in the army named Sergeant Keeler. Wayne Keeler. And, and he, he didn't like me. From the moment he saw me, he didn't like me. I mean, he had some serious problems. He, uh, he determined right off the bat. I mean, it was, it was, it was strange. There were a few people in my life that ever just saw me and I could just tell in his eyes, I don't like you. And I became a, a team leader in our platoon. And I'd never been a team leader. I didn't know anything. My squad leader went off to ranger school, and so then I became squad leader. So I showed up as a Joe, and next thing I know, I'm leading the squad, and this guy doesn't like me. So I have to go to him. Hey, Sergeant Keeler, how do I do this? He had one response to me every time, no matter what I asked him. He had a big dip. He had a big dip. Awfully stupid. He was trying to tick me off. Right? Everything, no matter what I said. Sorry, Keeler, how do we do this? Are you stupid? Are you trying to tick me off? Well, there's no right answer to that question. Right? I mean, if I'm stupid, that's a problem. If I'm just trying to tick him off, that's going to be a problem. And I can't not answer. So I got to where I would just do things, which was typically always the wrong thing as well. It was a rough three or four months. Um, and, and the picture here is God's not like that. When we go to God and say, God, I need grace and mercy. I need your wisdom to know what to do. He's not going to say, are you stupid? Are you trying to make me angry? It's not the way God is. Instead, He says, will be given to us generously. But, ask in faith, nothing wavering. Now, nothing wavering. Some translations say, without doubting. But with nothing wavering, I think, is a better translation. Because nothing doubting, we tend to think that means God has the answer, He doesn't. But that's not the picture. See, if I'm going to God and asking God for wisdom, I'm going to God and asking for help. God is going to give me the grace I need. God is going to give me the the wisdom I need. But God expects me to do what He shows me, right? Isn't that what you say that? If God says, I will strengthen you, here's what you do to be strengthened. What does God expect? We would do that. If God says, here's wisdom and here's the right thing to do, what God expects is we will do it. And what we tempted to do is we go wavering. God, I have an idea of what would be best. And if you will tell me that's what's best, I'll do it. But if you tell me something else, I'm going to compare it to what Joe told me. Because Joe gave me advice and Red gave me advice and Michael gave me advice. So God, you give me your advice. And I will take the one that that I like the best and I'll do it. That's wavering. I'm wavering between doing God's will and doing my will or doing God's will and doing what somebody else said. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God for help, for guidance, for counsel. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to weigh what God says against something else. And God's opinion is one opinion among many. And God says, I don't work that way. 
You, you come to me, there must be a commitment on your part, on my part, that whatever I show you, that's what you're going to do, no matter what it is. So we see this all through Scripture. Follow me. So they, they leave and they follow him. Who will I send? Who will go for me? Here I am. Go. Right? I mean, this is, this is the picture. God gives guidance. And they go. They do. This is what he expects. So when we ask, we ask in faith. We ask with a singular faith. I will do what you say to do. I know you're right, whatever it is. And I will do what you want me to do. Because if we're wavering, we're like a wave tossed in the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. Now, I was in the Army. I lived in Oklahoma my whole life, so I've not been much on the ocean or lakes. But I do know that when the wind is boisterous and the waves are going, something that doesn't have a motor, a strong motor, will just be tossed about here and there by the waves and the wind and whatever else is going on. And the picture here is that when I come to God, if I'm not devoted, committed, I'm going to do what you want me to do no matter what. I'm just going to be tossed about. Because God's going to say this, and, and maybe I'll think that's a good idea, but then I'm going to tell Gerald, Gerald, I think God wants me to do this. I was praying, and here's what God said. And Gerald's going to say, well, that's dumb. God wouldn't tell you to do that. I don't think that would be right. I think you should do this instead. And I'm going to say, gosh, that sounds right too. Okay, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to tell Michael. Michael, I was talking to pray. God said this, but Gerald said that. So now I think I'm going to do what Gerald said. Michael said, well, I mean, they're both wrong. I mean, what you, that wasn't really God you heard, and Gerald's wrong. He has no idea. You should do this instead. And I'm going to say, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. And then I'm just going to go, whoo, whoo, whoo. And be constantly tossed about, never get the help I need, never get the mercy I need, never get the, the grace I need, never get the wisdom I need. And then, and then here's what I'll do. Everything will collapse. Right? Because if I'm in that time of need, everything's going to collapse around me eventually. I'm not going to be able to bear it up. I'm going to fall. And when I do, here's what I'm going to say. God just didn't come through for me. God didn't help me in my time of need. No, the problem wasn't God. The problem was me. The problem was us. Because, notice, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Right? If I... If, and, and again, okay, so think about it like this. Man, I'm so out of time, and this is not in my notes. This is just, think about it like this. Gerald, I'll use Gerald's example. I'm glad you're here. Gerald does math. If I were to go to Gerald and say, Gerald, help me to do this algebra problem. And Gerald would say, here's how you factor this polynomial. And then I would say, okay, that's how you do it. And then i say, but I don't want to do it that way, Gerald. I think you ought to do it like this. Gerald would say, but that's wrong. And I'd say, but I want to do it this way anyway. And so I would do it my way. And then I'd come back to Gerald the next day and say, Hey, I got a zero on my paper, Gerald. You helped me. And I got a zero. What's up with that? And he'd say, You didn't do it the way I said it. I said, well, Show me again. And he'd do it. So then I would do it my own way again. And I would go back and I would get another zero. And I would come back and say, Gerald, I got a zero again. You didn't help me. At some point, I would go to Gerald and say, Gerald, help me with this. And he would say, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You're not doing what I say. So what would be the point? Why would I waste my time? Why would God waste His time giving us the grace we need, the guidance we need, if what we're going to do is listen to flawed man instead of, human, instead of our amazing God? He's not. That's the point. If I go to God and say, God, I want to know what to do. 
And, and Kelly said this and, and Gerald said that. And I'm going to do one of those two things. You show me which one. But I'm only committed to doing one of those two and not a third that God shows me. I'm not going to get an answer. That's the promise. I mean, that's a promise. Just as surely as all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when I go to God, I go to that great white throne. I go to Him from wisdom. I better be sure. My commitment is not to my ideas. It's not to what somebody else says. It is to what God says to me. How God leads me. What God wants me to do. And if I go to God, and if I am determined to do His will, no matter what that will may be, I will be given wisdom generously. I will be given the grace I need to help me in my time of need. Our wonderful counselor. See, our, 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 I don't have time for this. Our counselor wants to help us and make us better. He doesn't just want an hour today and us to come back an hour next week. He genuinely wants to help. And so every time he gives us guidance and grace and leadership, it is what's best. It is what needs to be done. It is what's right. This is what a wonderful counselor does. This is what the wonderful counselor does. So how do we respond to this? I'm going to give you two verses and a story real quickly. Casting all of your care upon him. For he careth for you. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He has invited us to come. To cast all of our cares upon him. Because he cares. He cares about your pain. He cares about your loneliness. He cares about your problems. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your trials. He cares about your discouragement. He cares about your depression. He cares about your fear. He cares about your anxieties. He cares about your weakness. He cares about your being defeated by sin. He cares about whatever is going on in your life. And since He cares, the invitation is to come. Cast all those cares upon Him. Trust. He cares. And then one more. Just a precious passage. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Are you heavy laden? Is your soul weary? Is it weary because of pain or problems or struggles or trials or discouragement or depression or fear or weakness, defeat with sin or anything else? If it is, the wonderful counselor invites you to come to him to lay your burdens down and to find rest for yourselves. The picture in, in these two verses together 
It's that we're carrying these things. Have you ever carried something heavy like a pack? There is a relief of getting to take it off and set it down. So you look at casting your cares upon Him and coming to Him with her heavy laden. It's coming to Jesus and saying, here's all of this. I can't carry it anymore. We lay it at His feet. We leave it with Him to help us in our time of need. This isn't just a, again, this isn't just a snazzy saying. This isn't just cool stories. The last several months I have been depressed, discouraged, overwhelmed at so many things going on in our world, so many things going on in our church, so many things just, just going on. And felt down, down, downer, downer than I've ever felt, I guess. After I prepared my message this week on Jesus as the wonderful counselor, it was like God spoke to me and said, but you're not, you're not doing this. You're not, I mean, you're praying, but you're not just coming and laying your burdens down. You're, you're praying for everyone else. You're doing all of this other stuff in your prayer, but you're not just, do you trust me? Am I, am I to you who you're telling them I am to them? And so I, I spent a good portion of this week just praying for myself, which is unusual. Praying about these things. And, and through the week, it wasn't, there was no one big breakthrough. It was just like a little thing here. I wrote it down. And a little thing there, and I wrote it down. And over time, over the period of the week, I was just able to connect all of this stuff. And it was just it was amazing. Because I wouldn't have put all those things together like that. But my wonderful counselor, he knew what I needed. So now I have some stuff to pray about for myself. I have some things I'm going to fast for for myself. And all of this came, not, not because I sat down and thought really hard about how to do it. Because I, I had no idea. I wanted to think about anything but that. But it came because my wonderful counselor said, am I to you what you're going to tell those people Sunday I am to them? And I had to put my own message into practice before I could preach it today. And I found there's mercy and grace to help us at a time of need. There is a generous supply of wisdom and guidance for our lives. There is rest for our souls. And it comes not because we work it out, not because we think it out, but because we cast our burdens and our cares upon Him. The question this morning, do you need a wonderful counsel in your life? Are you overwhelmed? Is your soul weary? Are you at your wit's end? Are you at the end of your physical and spiritual strength? If so, then we're going to have time to seek Jesus. A wonderful counsel. Spend time out. Here's what I'm going to say this. We're going to stand. Go ahead and stand. If you want to come to the altars, you can. You can pray where you are. But here's one thing I'm not going to do, which I normally do. I'm not going to come. If you come now, I'm not going to pray for you.
Not because I don't want to. You see me afterward, I would be glad to pray for you. But this is not a time for you to seek Stacy. This is a time for you to seek your wonderful counsel. The need, far more than for you to depend upon me to take you to Jesus, is for you to take yourself to Jesus. So you can come to the altar, you can pray where you are, but you take yourself. You go to the throne of grace. You find the mercy that welcomes you, the grace that helps you, and the rest for your soul. And then if you need me to pray with you after service, I am joyously available to do such a thing. So I ask all that want to to come to the altars or pray where you are. We're just going to pray now.